Oh, hello there. It's me, Corval. Welcome back to Block Bites Daily, aka DeFi Tuesday, brought to you by the Shimmer Network. That was a mouthful. But we got a great show for you today, guys. We got Steven, the calculator guy. We got Sinbad. Uh, we're going to be talking about DeFi strategies. They work with Somalia Finance. It's going to be a really informative show. And also, of course, I got my sidekick today, DeFi Charles. And we're going to really give you guys some great info. <laughs> Mikey, let's start the show, man. I'm really excited. Also, I got to eat some of this oatmeal. Hello, guys. It's me, Corval here. Today's show would not be possible without our sponsor, Shimmer Network. Just as a reminder, Shimmer is a DAG-based, feeless, layer one network that's both fast and highly scalable. You can learn more about them at shimmer.network. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? <laughs> How's everyone doing today? Well, hello. Doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you guys. This is Steven. I know you from the DeFi Dojo. And, and son, I don't know you very well. I got introduced you as Sinbad. That's what, that's what I see you on Discord as. I hope that's okay. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Both are fine. Corval, how was your, uh, how was your, your week off? Oh, it was great, man. I went to the beach once. I don't know if you guys nice. can tell. I, I still look pallid, I think is the word. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was really hot, dude. I took the great week to to take off in that um, it was like 115 degrees every single day outside. Jesus. Literally murdered. Is that a good week to take off? I don't know. I think I would melt. Yeah, I was being a little That's ironic. Insane. I was being a little sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't very good. But yeah, um, you know. I did miss doing the show, though. Uh, I hope Mikey. I'm sure Mikey did a good job. I know Mikey did a good job. I know Mikey had a, was having a lot of fun running it. Um, but you know, enough about me, dude. I feel like I've been talking. I go, I, I do the intro, and then it goes to my voice on the ad. But uh, let's let's let's. How was you? How are you, Charles? How was the week without me? Uh, it was good. I had a I had a bit of a vacation myself. I was on the west coast of Canada, which is where I was born. And uh, or where I grew up, and uh, yeah, saw some family. I played a lot of golf, which uh, was really fun. I'm a big golfer, um, and it was great. Yeah, it was it was great. Swam in the ocean, had a fantastic time, and I'm ready to talk about DeFi. And I'm excited to have Stephen and Son here because uh, um, again, I don't know Son, but yeah, I've been following Stephen for a while. So um, let's let's get into it. Yeah. So uh, you mind telling, I mean, you know, I'm sure our DeFi audience is familiar with you both, but uh, you mind like introducing yourselves, guys, telling us a little bit about you if you want to go first, Stephen? Yeah, sure. So I am Stephen, uh, sometimes known as the calculator guy on like Twitter and YouTube. I also founded the DeFi Dojo Discord. It's a Discord of like 11,000 people. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, what I call like a decentralized think tank. Um, and from like all these endeavors, we we created Define Logic Labs, me and my co-founder, which is a data science firm, uh, much like uh, what, oh, wrong direction, much like what uh, Sun has with, with 7Cs. We, we basically like look at a bunch of numbers all day and try to create like the 
best, most robust uh, strategies possible in DeFi with with partner protocols um, like Sommelier, uh, which is uh, really, really cool. And, you know, what I do is uh, is I play with math and numbers all day and, and then, like, you know, try to find the best yields in DeFi and then talk about them. So I have a dream job for sure. Awesome. Yeah, a dream job for someone who loves numbers, I'm sure. You, do you have like a mathematics background? Um, or a uh, yeah, yeah. So um, my degrees won't surprise you. Uh, philosophy and English, so definitely numbers based. <laughs> uh, I do also have a computer science degree, uh, but but yeah, my first two degrees were were English and philosophy. Maybe not what you would expect, but my philosophy was uh, was logic based. So oh, that's good. See, that makes me feel better. I have a degree in political science, so a lot of times I feel like I'm in the wrong uh, <laughs> in the wrong area. But very cool. Yeah. So, uh, so son, uh, you know, Steven mentioned that you run seven C's. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Uh, you're so mysterious. Yeah. Sure thing. <laughs> Not, well, you know, I got to live up to the name Sinbad, right? But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So seven C's is, um, essentially a vault building team. So we do, you know, we do data science stuff, but we also have a significant smart contract building component. So we essentially build vaults. We build smart contract architectures, and we also run strategies. And I think like, you know, part of our expertise is actually in Uniswap V3 management, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, like what these vaults on Somalia do. But we work very closely with Steven's team at Define Logic. And together we're running some of the, you know, best vaults you can find on in DeFi more broadly. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's dope. Um, I wanted to give a bit of a refresher for the audience. We talked about Somalia a couple of weeks ago. Um, but just to give some context for uh, what these guys are doing. Um, so Somalia is like an asset management app. They have a bunch of vaults. They have a USD vault that takes several stable coins. They have an ETH vault. There's a recently launched BTC vault, which I really want to um, get into. Um, but yeah, you it, it's the vaults are on mainnet. You deposit your your whatever, your ETH, your, your stable coins. And then you let these big brains take over with their strategies. Um, and they, you know, I think it's Aave, Compound, and UniV3 are the protocols that the vaults deal with. Um, are those the main, are those the main, um, are those the only protocols? Or I guess um, I'll jump into this question first. Um, what is the, um, what's the criteria for, for protocols that you, you, the vaults deal with? Yeah, go ahead. you can start, Steve. So basically, each different vault will have a set number of protocols that it can interact with. Uh, that way, the users know sort of what their risk profile is and what they're depositing into. And so the 7Cs team will develop <laughs> a lot of uh, what we call adapters. And all those adapters will be audited by, by Ox Macro. You might know Macro. They're the auditor for X Finance and a bunch of other larger uh, protocols. And so each adapter is audited through Ox Macro, and then they can be integrated into the vaults through a governance process. So uh, right now, we are trying to be as risk-off as humanly possible while giving back like what we think is a risk-adjusted yield or like you know best-in-class yield. So for Ethereum right now, I think our, our 7-day average is 13%. Real yield, you know, swap fees plus leveraged staked ETH. Uh, and to us, that's just incredible. And really, the BTC is like six point, I think six point five percent, around six point five percent. Again, that's coming from swap fees and leveraged staked ETH. Well, in this case, only swap fees uh, on Uniswap V3. So 
what we try to do is not expose or what we do do is not expose depositors to anything that we want right we can't just say well hey look there's a, a great solidly fork that just came out let's deposit into that because it has a great yield we can't do that we're not allowed to our hands are tied uh we are limited to what governance has accepted as a reasonable exposure for each individual vault and so right now yeah absolutely it's ave v2 ave v3 uh uniswap v3 um we have like a one inch aggregator there's compound uh deposit and then we have morpho borrow and lend so those are sort of like the major adapters that we utilize in some of these strategies but each each different vaults uh exposures will be listed on the site and if any additional exposure is going to to beef in that vault it will have to go through governance first we also have a Fraxland adapter, which is primarily, which is what the Fraximal Vault is doing, which is like, you know, that's the first product on Somalia, which is like a protocol improvement vault, right? Where mm -hmm. it's not just like, you know, best in class uh, yields for a specific asset. It's like, we're trying to improve the efficiency of the Fraxland markets, get, you know, give like a single access point for people so they don't have to, you know, it's better UX, they have to make fewer decisions. And like, yeah, I'll just echo like Steve, what Steven said, which is, the high level philosophy here is that we wanted to start with like the biggest protocols that have the most organic activity, right? There's like a power law here in DeFi where like 1% of the protocols have like, you know, 99% of usage. Uh, so it was very natural to like start with these big three. But, you know, as time goes on, as we, we expand and add adapters, which are like how our vaults interact with new protocols, we're definitely, you know, we're definitely getting to the point where we're starting to entertain like newer, more interesting protocols. Um, like, you know, Frax was one, but, you know, we're looking at a bunch of other stuff for future vaults. Oh, cool. Could you give us a little taste? What other ones are you looking at? <laughs> or is it top secret? <laughs> so some of secret, some it's not. Yeah. And, and these vaults may or may not be made. So like one of the other ones we're looking at is like an Olympus die vault, uh, right? Because Olympus has a, has a range bound mechanism, which keeps it between roughly $11 and $9. So like it has this mechanism that, that makes it pseudo stable. And because of that, and because of the decent volume and TVL, we think that there is a, a reasonable market for something that approximate a stable coin vault, but has outsized returns. Um, so we're sort of working with their team to see sort of what they'd be interested in terms of uh, like vaultinizing that, uh, that arbitrage opportunity. Very cool. Very cool. Um, but you're saying, I'm sorry, what, what was the, the protocol that was on? Uh, Olympus Dow, you guys remember Olympus. DeFi Summer? Ohm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people still think like Ohm is this like degen rebase protocol. Uh, it has changed. It has adapted. You know, it's, yeah. we need to to let it have a new face, a new look, a new uh, character. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. but that would need to be approved by by governance for it to be on on Somalia, correct? Yes. All all vaults have to go through governance process to to get listed. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Right. Um. Okay. I wanted to ask about um the process of putting together a strategy. So. Like, you know, uh, I think, you know, the BTC vault is like less than a month old. Um, you must have been working on it for, you know, some good amount of time. Um, did you, you decided beforehand, you're like, hey, I, we, we want to build a BTC strategy. We want to get a BTC vault going. Um, where do you start? Like, how do you, um, what's the process like and what kind of like back testing do you do, um, et cetera, et cetera? 
Yeah, this is a this is a great question. So, uh, I can I can explain this by looking at a few of the other vaults. For real yield ETH, we track over at this point seventy eight different ETH mainnet yields. Uh, now we have been tracking them manually. We also scrape a bit of the data, and so every day we're looking at just yields from Balancer, yields from Aura, yields from Uniswap, uh, yields from Compound, yields from uh, Gearbox, yields from Oasis. Well, now Summerfy, you know, yields from all over mainnet and say, okay, what is the most competitive? What is the most consistent? If we look at like the graph of every single one of these yields, which is just like this this headache of a graph, you can see what the what the averages are, what the trends are, how they look during different spikes or, or like uh, or peaks and valleys of the like the staking yield of specific assets. And with all of that data, we can then craft a strategy that fits the risk profile of our depositors. Uh, and like, this is one of the reasons why I'm really, I don't want to use the word proud, but like incredibly grateful for the team that we have, because it's just, the, the fact that we're looking at 78 different yields, and I still personally believe that our vault is the best in class. Uh, and I'm not saying that to chill, chill ourself, like it literally, I can look at the numbers every day and I, I get new, renewed confidence that what we're doing is like, just freaking amazing. Uh, so but that's what we do, right? We track a bunch of yields. So for the BTC vault, we said, okay, we know there's a market for BTC. We know that BTC yields on, on mainnet suck, right? It's just really hard to get a yield on wrapped Bitcoin uh, right now. And maybe that'll change with like eBTC. Uh, you know, I am super excited for eBTC and what they're doing. And then there's like TBTC. Also really excited about TBTC threshold network, you know, coming from wormhole. That's also really cool. I'd love to tap into those yields. Uh, but we need time, right? We want to make sure they're risk-adjusted returns. So we're not just going to jump into them head first. And so we said, okay, well, how do we how are most strategies for wrapped Bitcoin constructed? Most of it is uh, depositing wrapped Bitcoin as some form of collateral, borrowing against it, and then you know, utilizing the borrow for yield and then selling that yield back into Bitcoin. That was the basic strategy that we thought, okay, this is probably the most reasonable and scalable strategy. And first we thought, let's go with a a liquid stake loop on wrapped staked ETH uh, on Morpho. Because the arbitrage between the Morpho borrow rate and the the yield rate of Rapstake ETH was really high, and we could leverage that. Uh, if we did max LTV, we could leverage that like nine x, um, and that could return something around like five percent net for the depositors. And we said that's great, five percent net for Bitcoin. Uh, it's unheard of in DeFi right now, especially if it's denominated in real yield and it's sustainable long term. However, we're tracking a lot of yields, right? So we're not just tracking one or two yields that we that we thought are the best. What we noticed was that there was this outsized return in the wrapped staked ETH, wrapped ETH, uh, Uniswap V3 pool that would, if we tapped into it, generate a six to seven percent net yield on on wrapped Bitcoin. So what these vaults have the ability to do is shift the deposits towards whichever yield is the best at any given time for depositors. So like for for real yield ETH, there's a great example. We started off doing a Coinbase ETH CB ETH arbitrage play where CB ETH was under peg. We launched on the day of the fork and then we're heavy into leverage CB ETH. So as CBETH regained PEG, which we knew that it would because uh, withdrawals were or unstaking had become available on Coinbase, we would we would have a leveraged exposure to that repeg. Then after that, uh, due to like the NFT craze and, and Pepe and all these meme coins going crazy, the validation yield of of Lido ETH was really really high. It was like six percent at some points in time. So we then transitioned over to leverage staked 
ETH, which gave us outsized returns. And then after those sort of died down, and then the the bar rate and the yield of validation sort of like got really close to each other, we noticed this outsized return for UniB3 liquidity providing. Now we're usually diversified into a, a variety of these, but then we direct we reweight them so that uh, while the depositor has exposure to a variety of yields, they have outsized exposure to the best performing. Uh, so that's, a, that's I know it's a really long answer to a short question, but the the mental energy that goes into strategy development, strategy maintenance is um, it's uh, it's meaningful and non negligible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. It's pretty interesting. Um, well, I guess not quite a lot of moving parts, but that's a lot to keep track of for sure uh and so like these these vaults are like dynamic you're saying too right like it's adapting to wherever the yield within these protocols is kind of moving right yeah exactly so i love summerfy i love instadap i love gearbox i think these are amazing products and protocols but for each one of these the strategy is fixed. And so if one of these strategies fails, what has to happen is the protocol has to launch a new vault and sunset the old vault and then hope that depositors will migrate from the old vault to the new vault. And sometimes those old vaults can have dramatically negative APRs in the meantime while people are migrating. Uh, our vaults don't stale. Our vaults are adaptive. So our vaults can switch strategies from, like I said, a CVETH leverage play to leverage ref staked ETH to Uniswap V3 tick optimization at any given time, depending on the market conditions so you stay in one vault the entire time uh and that vault changes rather than you having to change your deposit to a new vault Ooh, fantastic yeah dude. it's it's such a um such a huge tool for retail because like that's i don't know that's like the worst part about um having to try to find really good yield yourself is that it's not the yield doesn't stay in any one place for any one time just because of how many things are changing in DeFi. And, you know, like you said, with Pepe season, it's like staking's really good. And then all of a sudden something else would be really good. And you just have to keep moving around. And on mainnet, if you're not uh, rich, like if you're a fish like me, you have to be paying all these transaction costs and having a vault like this that just does that for you is like so um so useful so useful uh son do you do you have anything to add on top of what steven said i know he he pretty much covered most of it that was awesome <laughs> yeah no i think it would be worth i think like quickly going over what enables these vaults to be dynamic right like the so like from a user perspective what steven said is like that it's that's totally what DeFi needs right now right which is you need products that are very easy to use, right? A vault interface is simple. You can deposit and you can withdraw. You can see everything that's going on because it's all on the chain, like publicly available. Um, but like, you know, why doesn't this, why hasn't this existed before, right? Like why can't Yearn do this or like mm -hmm. some of the other vault funds? And the answer is that uh, Sommelier, the Sommelier protocol, so a lot of people don't know this, but Sommelier is actually a Cosmos chain. It's a Cosmos chain that creates vaults that are running on Ethereum and will soon be running on, you know, other chains. Like we're, uh, we're in the middle of an upgrade that is going to enable access to many, many other EVMs. So that's pretty exciting. But the way that these vaults are actually dynamic is that they enable off-chain computation to actually inform like on-chain uh, like asset allocations. So what that means is like, you know, with a urine vault, you can do simple things like, oh, you can like read the state of the chain, say, okay, yields are higher here, let's move our assets there. But you can't do anything interesting that, you know, for example, does machine learning 
or like looks at things like sentiment on Twitter, like just arbitrary things that you would want mm -hmm. someone who's like giving you essentially like, you know, recommendations for investments to um, to like to, to have access to, right? So the Somalia architecture is basically a way of taking off-chain computation, which can be machine learning or whatever, and bringing that on-chain and executing that in a decentralized way. So like the way that that works is actually pretty cool. It's that like just from, I'll, I'll tell you from like strategist perspective, we have all these model, models running off-chain, right? Steven's, you know, Steven's team is tracking like 80 different yields across many, many different assets. Once a decision is made, which is like, okay, the optimal thing to do is to rebalance into Uniswap V3. That is first submitted to the Somalia blockchain. And Somalia has its own validator set that's running like Tendermint consensus, which is, you know, like the co what Cosmos proof of stake uh, chains do. When those validators come to consensus, they take that decision and finally submit it onto the Ethereum side. So it's like this layer that sits between the strategist and the vault, which acts as a security layer, right? Because what you don't want in DeFi is a single party that has like unilateral control over someone's assets, right? Like you, you know, what happens if the strategist goes offline and the funds are in like, you know, an unstable position? The validator set in that case can actually, you know, move funds around into a safe position and have users withdraw. But that security layer is like the thing that it's like an it's like a step improvement over a multi-sig, which is what everyone in DeFi currently uses. And this, I think, is like this technology advantage that Somalia provides, I think, is like a big component in how we're able to like operate these dynamic vaults and essentially beat everyone else. Like no other vault can do take optimization, leverage staking, can yield farm when there's like interesting incentives for, for short periods of time. It really feels like, you know, we have a gun in like a knife fight here. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask that question, uh, wh why Somalia, but I think you answered it there, right? Like, uh, that's some pretty game-changing stuff, um, and because it, it does make it more set it and forget it, which is ideal for a guy like me, right? I don't want to be actively managing all these various risk profiles I have in DeFi. I want to just trust to the calculator guy in Sinbad. <laughs> oh, you don't have yeah, to trust. That's the beauty, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the Somalia validator set is like there as to, to be a security layer. And like more and more yeah. now in DeFi, there's this like narrative of intent, right? Which is like, you don't want people to have to like think through sophisticated, like complex on-chain steps, right? It's like offload that to a sophisticated player and let them like be incentivized to help you. Uh, so very much this thesis is like becoming more and more true in DeFi. Yeah. Now, I'm sure Charles has got another follow-up question here, but I really want to just interject this real quick from our chat here. Mr. Got Plenty, he's a fan favorite. He's a, he's a recurring a guy here. Uh, he asks, are these transactions on Cosmos vulnerable to bridge exploits? So I think I know the, the answer to the this. Question I, yeah, the question I had actually is kind of related to that. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay, cool. And, but yeah, I, I was wondering about... Um, because some stakers get some piece of fees from the from the vaults, right? Because um, I think there's, I don't want to get this wrong, but depositors and withdrawals will pay some small fee to get in and out of the vault. And those go, a portion of those go to, they don't. The, it's completely fee-less. The it's not completely fee, but there is no depositor withdrawal fee. Oh, okay, okay. So, so there okay. are performance fees. Performance fees, okay, okay, right. Okay, so fees from that are taken from the profits very small percentage of those goes to some stakers. How do those fees get from mainnet to, to the SOM chain? 
Yeah, um, great question. And this is a great question on like, you know, what like kind of risks bridging actually brings to this system. So first off, there is a bridge between Somalia and Ethereum. It's like a proprietary fork of the gravity bridge, which is like this broader, you know, more general bridge in Cosmos. This one is a bridge just for the Somalia network to interact with Ethereum. And the primary purpose of this bridge is to send messages from the SOM chain to Ethereum. It is not like an asset bridge, right? So there's no assets, you know, that are, that are consistently flowing between the two, except for Charles, what you just mentioned, which is the staking rewards. So again, the flow is like a strategist submits to the SOM chain. The SOM chain passes that message over to the Ethereum bridge, right? But user funds are all sitting on Ethereum in that vault, which is like, I think, a really nice part of the system. It's like we can we can go after these different ecosystems and nobody has to, like, you know, leave that ecosystem. Right. Like if you're on Ethereum, you stay on Ethereum. Now, as these strategies are performing, right, the protocol does charge a fee. Right. So that smart contract itself is tracking like fees that it's owed. And those are performance and platform fees. Uh, so there's no fee to enter exit, but when you're sitting in the vault, you are like on a continual basis being charged like an annualized rate of like, let's say 20% performance fee. As those fees accrue in that smart contract, there is eventually a point where those fees are then, then the bridge is used to send those fees and just those fees back to the SOM chain. So user funds never actually pass back and forth, right? It's purely funds that the protocol is owed, which have already been deducted from like users, right? So when you go to the SOM website and you see an APY, those are all net of fees. Like it's automatically accounted for in the smart contract, which is how we measure performance. Uh, so that's kind of the process here. The fees, you know, let's say there's a thousand dollars in fees that are owed. That's then bridged over the, over the gravity bridge back to the SOM chain. And the, at, at the SOM chain, there's an auction module. So, you know, the goal here is that you have fees in a bunch of different assets. It can be ETH, BTC, whatever, but you want to pay stakers out in their native asset, which is SOM. So this auction is like a, like a cute way of taking a, you know, a bunch of arbitrary assets and converting that to SOM without having to, you know, go after like pick a specific DEX or something like that. Uh, so that stuff actually isn't live yet. Currently the like SOM protocol team is, uh, is like working on this update, which is going live very, very soon. But there are fees that are like being accrued, waiting to pass over the SOM chain for this like first like inaugural auction, which should happen pretty soon. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I know that was a lot. Um, yeah, so, no, no, that's yeah, that's great. Um, basically, yeah, I've been... depositors, no bridge exposure, but SOM holders a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, your rewards, right? Your rewards. Yeah, the, yeah. It's not your even. Underlying yeah, assets. Yeah. You're not yeah, I'd say lose like. Anything. Yeah, with with the system that is in place, that's about. That's like the most risk mitigation you can possibly um you can possibly have if you have to get funds from one place to another that's probably the best way to do it um and yeah the what you were talking about before like the computational advantage that you guys have is really um shows in the in the yields because i've been taking a look at them like when we first covered them a couple weeks ago i was like this can't be <laughs> and then, like every week i'm like going on there and refreshing i'm like are you serious i can't <laughs> um yeah so um yeah really cool uh i wanted to ask about um 
What did mm-hmm. I want to ask about? I want to ask about the uni v3 positions. Mm-hmm. Um, so are, are there, um, are there, is there a dedicated like group of people on, um, on the firm or in the company that is like maintaining those positions or how do you, how do you approach, um, like picking a range and, and managing it? So the short answer is yes. Uh, there are two teams working on this specifically. So Define Logic Labs, which is the team that I co-founded, and then uh, Seven Seas, which is the team that Sun co-founded. And these two teams are uh, in constant communication with each other and with math and with the off-chain algorithms and with the off-chain computation to determine when and why uh, a rebalance should be committed. And when a rebalance is committed, that will rebalance the Uniswap v3 position. So. I, yeah, the short answer is yes. There, there are teams working on this. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how large the Seven Seas team in a ke- team is. It keeps growing, uh, but I do know most of them over there. But I'd say you know, double-digit members uh, are are working on this this strategy and these specific tick optimizations. And I think like Uni V3 is like it's my favorite protocol. I know that's like pretty basic, but uh, the reason is that it's this protocol that has massive amounts of organic traction, arguably like the most in DeFi, right? In terms of just like daily active users. And in spite of that, there's a massive amount of untapped potential there. Like, and this is because, you know, the systems are complex. People are still understanding like how profitable it is. Short answer is that 99% of the time it's not profitable for LPs. Uh, funny story is that Sommelier originally launched as a Uniswap optimizer, like purely Uniswap. Uh, and Seven Cs is kind of like, you know, we kind of spun out of the core Sommelier team from back in the day. Uh, so like we have been spending, we've spent a lot of time on Uniswap V3. And there's like, you know, we can get into, we can get into it, why it's unprofitable, when it is profitable. But there is like a huge wealth of like you know yield that can be unlocked when you understand the dynamics of Uniswap v3 and when you have a system that lets you like you know aggressively rebalance and like you know do very very provide very very efficient liquidity yeah really cool i mean because i was gonna ask uh you know how you guys reached the decision to use uni v3 because it's so you know time intensive um and a lot of the i mean I looked into it a while back, so maybe things changed, but I remember seeing a report saying that it wasn't even more profitable than V2 most of the time. Um, but I do, so you guys do use V2 for some of these. Like, how do you decide which ones? Is it just like bandwidth or? I don't think we use V, we, I don't think we're oh, LPing uh, on any vault. Okay. Uh, we, we may swap through v2 at some points if that's where like the best prices are but like uniswap v2 is not very interesting i think to us i don't know i don't know steven if you agree but it's not very interesting yeah i definitely agree like there's not you can't there's no like choices to make right like you pick a pool you enter that pool there's no way to like be better than the next lp like you're all losing or you're all winning and most of the time you're all losing right with Uni V3, there's a way of like turning skill into like you know better performance, which is what I think we yeah. look for as just. Yeah, you can actually like um, be a be a market maker in the sense that you're you can compete against other market makers, and I mean that's the thing with like Uni V3, those numbers of like it's not profitable in the aggregate. It's because people don't know what they're doing, or it's because like people just kind of enter in um, and 
yeah, like it's, it's, I don't know. If you know what you're doing, it can be extremely profitable. It can be more profitable than any other LP position, but you have to, you have to learn the steps. It's, it's crazy how long it's taken for, like, I remember, I think I, I don't know, when Uni V3 launched, I was like, I'm pretty, I'm still like relatively, I think this is, I'm coming up on two years in DeFi. So I wasn't early by any stretch, but I, I was very new when Uni V3 launched and I like watched, I think I watched the Finematics video on it. I was like, this is awesome. This is crazy. And I just like paid like 80 bucks to get into the pool, you know, and gas. And I just like picked a range and I was like, this is great. And then, yeah, I don't know. Just thinking back on it, um, I just kind of shake my head. And I think about all the other people that are doing the same thing now. Um, but it, it's crazy how long it's taken for the general space to like get their head around the protocol and like realize what, how advanced it actually is. Um yeah anyways side tangent that that's uh, it's funny you can tell that people are good no no go ahead steven as i say you can tell that people are finally understanding uni v3 because uni v4 just dropped and i feel like you can wait until people are finally understanding their product and be like okay we got to push something out new so that no one can understand it again yeah yeah Yeah. charles your experience is similar very similar to mine like i'm i've been in d5 for a little bit over two years and literally same thing like uni v3 is the first <laughs> protocol i like tried to understand i watched yeah, that dramatic video it, it's like when you understand that okay like now in hindsight there's a lot of parallels between like you know like order books and uni v3 and uni v4 is getting closer and closer like at some point is you know uniswap just gonna say you know maybe we were wrong and an order book is necessary but uh it is very like it shows you the power of like like the the spectrum of innovation that's happening here like it's such an interesting primitive people i still I, I don't think people still fully get like you know when it's profitable i think back then people were a lot more optimistic that like you know this this grand vision of having passive lps come in and like not lose money that that was you know that was i think a little optimistic i don't think that's the story anymore but it's definitely like i think it's definitely my favorite platform and there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do there yeah yeah or at least have like um like protocols like gamma labs um coming in and managing it on you know something like fina um that's a bit more it's just a couple layers removed from the user where they can actually be passive but you still need that that party in the middle that's kind of managing it um anyway speaking of DeFi innovations um i wanted to get your thoughts on um some developments and advancements that you're personally excited about i mean i've been um paying close attention to you know obviously ls DeFi. i think everybody has been um also options protocols i'm i'm really into right now um but are there any advancements developments in DeFi that you guys are excited about or see a big future for or maybe um I don't know. I, I think we asked this before, but maybe that you would find a strategy with. Uh, you don't have to give anything away if you want to. Yeah. So there is a ton to be excited about almost all the time, uh, starting with LSDFI. So, like LSDFI, right? You have all of these really cool, I mean, you know, we call them LSTs, LSDs, whatever you want to call them. I think LST is more for the suits, LSD is more for the, uh, you know, us guys. <laughs> and you start off with you know your your CBEs, your SDEs, your EPSIC and then you get to like your indexes, right? Uh, these index tokens, which give you 
which give you like blanket exposure to a variety of LSTs are really interesting, especially since they can become composable assets that can be leveraged. Now that's like the beginning of the beginning of <laughs> sorry, what I think is really interesting. I might joke too much to speak. Uh, mm. but once you have composable strategies, right? So we have this real yield ETH vault. Uh, this vault is, it's, it's a 4626 compliant vault, so it can be composable. You could take this vault token, which is like having a leverage position on uh, leveraged LSDs. It's having this Uniswap V3 position. You could take that and potentially do a lot of things with it, right? Some of the things you could do with it are like use it on a money market and borrow stables against it and then just like go play with those stables. So you have this really nice interest-bearing position and now you can go use your stables for whatever you need to do. Another thing you could do is uh, one thing we're toying with is minting a CDP against it denominated in ETH. So you have like your your really nice composable stable coin or your really nice composable vault. Now you're minting uh, a, a CDP stable denominated in that vault token to, to loop and leverage. Now it's equal parts interesting and what I think is dangerous. Because as we see LSD Fi expand and grow, we're going to see people fight and fight for all of that yield, right? It, it, the yield is coming from uh, Ethereum validation. And there's going to be increasing pressure being put on that. I see products that are leveraged being used to leverage more. And we saw this in like the 2008 housing market collapse. Mm -hmm. It was just like derivatives of derivatives of derivatives of derivatives uh, for increased leverage. Uh, this excites me and scares me. I think it's exciting because we're on the ground floor. We get to see it happen in real time so we can participate in that opportunity that's going to arise from this. It scares me because when you stack a deck of cards too high, uh, some, sometimes something bad can happen. But it's usually people who are the most risk on that are affected. Um, so LSD5, I think, super interesting. I love to see uh, like more composability in this space. So like Dolomite. Right, I like the protocol Dolomite. I know it's a money market. I know money markets are the most exploited type of protocol in DeFi by far. Right, like it's not even close. Uh, if you're looking at TVL exploited, it's bridges, but by protocol exploited, it's uh, it's money markets. So Dolomite accepts really exotic collateral, um, like they t accept LP tokens. They accept these. Uh, FANFT positions. They're going to be accepting like Pendle primitives, or they already accept Pendle primitives. So all of these, I would love to borrow against these. I'm super excited about this. There you go. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and this sort of stuff, like from a strategist perspective, is amazing because there's so many strategies you could build on these that would be that would give you outsized returns. Mm -hmm. You know, leveraging a JGLP, or sorry, JUSDC, uh, taking a a a fixed rate yield on Ethereum from Pendle and then leveraging a fixed rate yield up. That's so freaking cool. Uh, but I don't think DeFi safety and DeFi security is at a level where those risk-adjusted returns are, are actually risk-adjusted. The risks are still way too high for most individuals to participate in those in a meaningful way. So what I am most bullish on, most excited about, is like the, the increase in security and security standards for DeFi protocols, because then we can start playing with these super cool uh, protocols and and composabilities and interoperabilities um, that are existing. Another thing that I'm excited about are like the things that that we're doing at Somalia, which which is these uh, which is the ability to use off-chain computation to inform on-chain non-custodial vaults. We're seeing this in Somalia right now. Somalia sort of has, I think, hegemony, especially in uh, EVMs. We're moving to EVMs. But the same thing is happening in IBC with Quasar. They're doing a, a very similar or launching a very similar product. And I anticipate these sort of hands-off uh, vaults to be to to be big. And here's why. We've seen, I know I'm talking a lot, but we've seen CDFI, right? Like this uh, centralized, decentralized finance 
I'm not going to name all the protocols, but you guys probably remember them. And one by one, they crashed and burned. And the thing that was the most frustrating about them is they offered these crazy outsized returns, often like fixed rate. Oh, you're going to get 20%. Oh, you're going to get 40%. Uh, and no, you can't see what we're doing behind the screen. So those were CDFI products. Now we have like what I call DCFI, which is the reverse of that, which is, yes, you can still deposit one asset. And yes, that asset is being uh, put into things on the back end, but it's completely transparent. So you can go to any one of the Somalia vaults and check the debank and look at exactly what strategies the, the, the vault is in at exactly what allocations in real time at any given point. So you can see exactly what we're doing all of the time with 100% transparency and it's completely non-custodial, but it's still doing what the CDFI platforms, scammers, were telling you they were doing. But now it's actually happening with utter transparency. And I just think that's so fucking cool. Sorry for swearing. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm no, still- no, it's perfectly fine. I do it all the time. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I was, there was a lot there to chew on, I think. Um, the I- additional risk by the, I don't know, rehypo- rehypothecation might be the term, of these derivatives, a lot of uh, financial terms here for you, um, is fascinating because it, it does create more sophisticated assets so you can make a lot more money but the additional risk it seems like risk is always tied directly to rewards so when you see those really fat aprs you got to know that you're you know touching a bunch of projects and you're taking on a lot of additional risk um maybe this is a little off topic but you know in traditional finance so so like you're saying part of the problem with like 2008 is like people down the line had no idea what kind of risks they were exposed to all the way up you know, you thought you were just buying like a REIT essentially and you were exposed to like, I don't know, like like uh, slumlords or whatever. But uh, <laughs> the the difficulties, I think, with with DeFi is kind of like there's not a lot of circuit breakers, um, a lot of ways to quickly like if, if one of these things is exploited down the line, there's not really a way to cut it out of the system, right? Um, so when you guys are considering like, how many projects to touch on like how, how do you guys like you know figure your risk for these for these vaults and strategies i think it's like you want to have options for people with different risk tolerances right that's mm-hmm. like ultimately the end goal so currently you know like all of the major vaults currently like the btc vault ETH, usd these are all very very conservative right like we are aware of several opportunities that would increase yields but they are like too risky to be added, right? Which is why we've stuck to tried and true protocols that have existed for many years and like, you know, done billions in volumes in TVL. Uh, That being said, there's like clearly appetite in DeFi, like arguably that's where more appetite is in DeFi for like risky high yielding products, right? Um, So I think that's like, you know, just as long as we communicate up front, like, you know, we can't, we're not oracles, like we can't, we can't mm-hmm. predict when a smart contract exploit is going to happen, but like you can use some heuristics like, you know, how Lindy is a protocol. You can do this to like assess risk and communicate that clearly. Right. So, you know, in the future, we do have plans of launching like potentially more ETH vaults. Right. But mm-hmm. those ETH vaults would be higher yielding, but we would have to be clear, like, look, these are doing some degen things. Right. And this is like mm-hmm. four degens, but it's been interesting in DeFi to just see that, in spite of everything that's happened, like this, like, you know, tortured history of hacks and exploits that still it feels like the only thing people care about is yield. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like we're kind of making a stand here and saying, you know, it's got to be organic, right? We're trying to appeal to institutions and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, it really does feel like, you know, a new project gets announced. They're off, they're offering like high seals on something, but the smallest amount of due diligence shows that it's a rug. Like you can straight mm -hmm. up just see that the contract is like upgradable by a multi-sig of like two people. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and still, you know, hundreds of millions of, do of dollars come in. So we're just trying to but they that. were audited by Certic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, like we're, we're just trying to appeal to as many people as possible. Like we have our, our goals for what DeFi should be. And we very much like stand by those, but the people want what they want. Right. So we mm -hmm. definitely have plans of offering like, you know, riskier products that are higher yielding. Just, we have to be upfront about that. Oh yeah. Oh, you guys. Yeah, so the vaults will have like, yeah. So uh, the vaults will have solid exposure. So you have like the vaults that we have now, the real yield vaults, which are exposing you to real organic, you know, cage free, uh, grass fed yields from <laughs> your your leverage staking and your Uni V three, uh, like very very risk off, but you know, um, advanced and and uh, um, robust strategies. Then we'll have other vaults that are completely separate for users who have a larger risk appetite. And those vaults will have specifically tell you what your exposures will be, and then people who want those exposures can invest in those, but the, the risk will be completely siloed to those specific uh, offerings and vaults. So uh, we think there's a, there's a strategy for everyone. And the exciting part as a strategist is getting to create these sort of without my hands tied, saying, uh, like, now I get to just like play in the mud and create the most interesting thing with the highest yield that has a risk exposure that people already want. Um, do I anticipate that it may be exploited? No, not really, because I still don't think we would go for anything that's too new. Um, you know, like, there are a lot of solidly forks that have immutable smart contracts that might not have great audits, but because there's immutable smart contracts, the LPs themselves are are relatively safe. Whereas like the the yields could be manipulated by by upgrades. So I think there's a world in which like some sort of solidly fork uh, index or solidly fork aggregator could be a product that's offered. But I would still consider that way up on the risk curve compared to what we currently have. Fascinating. Um, so talking about kind of like sentiment. I guess temperament of of your you know I guess target demographic here, which is DeFi users. Do you think uh, are you guys feeling that they're becoming more or less more or less risk on or off? Because I, I feel like there's a lot of like you guys are saying, the higher the yields, the greater the risk generally, right? And a lot of people in this space are degen, so they're chasing that higher risk. So we're that's why we see these huge exploits because everyone piles in and then everyone loses a bunch of money. Um, do you think, you know, you guys are kind of like competing for a kind of almost like a smaller share of that larger degen market then, right? With these more conservative yields that are more safe and stable. I mean, it's weird to say conservative because compared to traditional finance, it's still a lot better. Um, but, but yeah, do you guys feel like it's kind of moving in that direction or do you think, uh, we still got some time? I'll just real quick, I'll let Steven take this, but real quick, I think that is so higher risk usually means higher reward except there is this special case of arbitrage right like arbitrage is where you can get higher like this and this is what we go after so like you know a lot of our vaults are very much capturing on arbitrage which means it's just like mispriced risk right DeFi markets are not efficient so i'll just say like you know this is a reason our vaults are able to get much higher yields than like comparable products in terms of risk uh and it's it's because of the ability to like recognize market inefficiencies and like go capture that because of the dynamic nature of these vaults. But Stephen, I'll let you I'll let you take that question. 
Nailed it. I mean, so so basically, like our target market probably not uh, Dgens. Dgens are. I'm not going to say any particular chain, but they you know they exist on specific chains. I know you guys know which ones, um, and they're going for different types of opportunities. Now, may we target those guys in the future? Absolutely. Again, vaults for everyone. Uh, but speaking on the arbitrage opportunities, like there are so many inefficiencies in DeFi and mispriced mispriced assets, uh, mispriced uh, stable assets as well. So one one ex- recent example is like cream eth i know when we hear the word cream most of us who are like have been in here for a while cringe and say oh no what, what happened another exploit uh but like there was this really really fascinating arbitrage opportunity where there was one particular cream eth whale and we like tracked his wallet who was dumping this asset down to 0. 0.6 uh eth right now the underlying ETH that backed cream ETH was all there, was all available, was publicly, you know, seeable, and they were migrating to uh, manifold, right? So there's this big sort of manifold migration. And we saw this as an arbitrage opportunity, not we as in like seven C's and Define Logic Labs, but we at the DeFi Dojo Discord. And so we did an incredible amount of diligence on these wallets, on the team, on what was happening with these assets, uh, and started to slowly enter this position. And as of now, it's been a 25% arbitrage opportunity where all most of us have exited. There's still like 3-4% uh, arbitrage left on this, completely denominated in ETH. They've moved all of the ETH to a new multisig. That multisig has deposited into the validation queue for Manifold. Everything is gone as planned. Uh, and this is not like a siloed or like rare occurrence. The same thing happened with Coinbase. The same thing happened with STE. The same thing happened with, with BNBX when Anchor BNB was exploited. There are so many incredible arbitrage opportunities if you're looking for them and if you know how to do diligence on risk. If you don't know how to do diligence on risk, you're going to get completely fucked on some exploit DPEG that you think is reasonable. right? There are many of DPEGs that you should never enter because either they're unbacked or there's no ability to arbitrage and redeem the underlying asset uh or for whatever reason like the the treasury is ripped out from under you right so if you look at a bridge hack you might think oh that's depegged because the asset is now worth one tenth of what it should be uh steven said arbitrage is good let me go and buy this asset at one tenth the price but what you don't realize is the backing is gone right the backing Mm. for those assets has been removed there's no ability to redeem those effectively tickets or assets for the underlying value. So not all arbitrage opportunities are the same, which is why you need robust teams to be diligencing these in real time to find those opportunities. Uh, so I am 100% with with Sun. I think that at this point, if you're still in DeFi, you've paid a lot of tuition, no matter how advanced of a user you are. Like I like to say, I paid enough tuition to, to get my PhD or my doctorate in DeFi at this point. And because of that, and because of like the just amount of collective trauma to some extent of the current set, current class of DeFi users, I think we're a lot more risk off and a lot more nuanced, a lot more savvy. I don't think you're going to see like the another Ohm fork season. Uh, I don't think you're going to see, you know, uh, there were a bunch of other seasons that were semi-similar uh, with like the, the ring forks, those like node forks season. I'm sure you guys remember those of you who are here for DeFi Summer. We're just not going to see them right now. May we see them in the next bull run when we onboard a bunch of new users and they have no idea what the hell is going on? Absolutely. But right now, at this point in time, we have a, in my opinion, very sophisticated set of DeFi users who are more risk off, but still interested in still interested in getting outsized returns, which is where like these arbitrage opportunities really present themselves as uh, as super fascinating, interesting for like who's still standing. Yeah. Yeah, nothing like a big uh, Armageddon moment, <laughs> apocalyptic uh, last like year. 
uh, to see who's actually stable. Yeah, and, and like you were saying, bridge depegging. I think we all know uh, one recently, uh, the multi-chain one, which is like a good example of you know the treasury yeah, gone. <laughs> don't buy multi USDC people. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, a ninety percent Arbuck. Yeah, yeah. I I did like. There's been a couple. Um, there's been a couple that I I don't know. I haven't really gotten into arbitrage too much which I feel like I should be doing more research on um, some ARB plays. I've heard you talk about funding rate arbitrage a few times, which sounds really interesting. Um, but yeah, there's been a couple, like the STETH one I got in. Um, and even the, I mean, this may have been a bit more risky, but the the USDC, when USDC depegged, over that an weekend. excellent example of arbitrage. I was like, uh, hello, I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, am oh, I yeah. stupid or can I just get 10% right now? So luckily you could, I, but the thing is I you could actually calculate but... the risk there, right? You could see what the exposure, what circles exposure was to uh, the Silicon Valley bank. And then yeah. with that exposure, you could determine what the back value was of USDC and anything under the back value you could buy as an arbitrage play on, on the backing value. So anyways, sorry, but yeah. you're exactly right. That was a great, a great play for you. And I'm, I'm glad you uh, benefited from it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to keep my eyes out for more because I, oftentimes I see them and I just, I don't know, I just, it isn't worth the stress for me, but I feel like if I actually took the time to do the due diligence, um, it's like so worthwhile. Um, but oftentimes I'm like, look, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here with my, you know, my bags and just like chill. Um, but yeah, no, um, this is, I appreciate you uh, bringing it up again because yeah. Anyways, um, uh, yeah, I, I, sorry, I was going to ask another question. I just completely blanked. Um, Corval, you got anything? Yeah, now? I was going to point out, you know, I think the, a big thing is like uh, the panic that spreads so quickly. You got to, you got to have, you got to stay, you got to have balls of steel, bro. Yeah, balls of steel. And then, uh, you know, remember that you can just look up information <laughs> to confirm, like you're saying with Circle, right? Uh, although I guess there was some fear that you know the bank wasn't going to be you know paying them out or whatever. Well, like um, like the, even if they weren't, even if you considered all of it gone, you there was still some other back value. So at like mm -hmm. if you assumed it was all gone, the peg went below that backing. Oh yeah, and like so look, there was still like the, this sort of yeah, less risk. Like it was like pricing as if as if it was all gone, but like. It's not like that bank's assets went to zero. That's literally, that's physically impossible, right? <laughs> like if anything, Circle is going to take like, you know, like a 10% haircut or something. But the market, like this is the, the fundamental truth of DeFi is that the market overreacts to everything. Like small good news gets amplified until like we're in the next bull, right? Oh, yeah. The slightest bad news and it's like, you know, everyone is in despair. So this is like where a lot of arbitrage exists. It's like, market sentiment just completely overreacting but mm -hmm. ultimately like it's not a good strategy obviously just to, to like just stare in the face of like bad news arbitrarily. <laughs> like you gotta do the research and like you know know what's going on like in, in general don't trade unless you like have like an edge right like that's mm -hmm. the rule otherwise you you on average are gonna lose money yeah you gotta stay cool you don't want to fall on that it's all over. We're so back mindset. You don't want to be flip flopping between the two <laughs> off of uh, you know what the latest CNN article is. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of what I I wish I was a really good trader because I feel like really good traders do so well in DeFi and do so well in crypto because like there's just like so many more 
um, edges that they can get compared to TradFi. It's like there's just like these huge gaps um, where they can just completely take advantage. Um, and I'm just, I, I don't trade, like I'm not a trader. And I so often just like, yeah, I just think about, oh man, what if I was like, what if I just looked at charts all day and just like tried to trade? I feel like DeFi is like a real playground for for really sophisticated traders. Um, sure. And I get dumped on. You know? um, yeah, I, I got I got nothing else. I got nothing else. I, yeah. I'm trying to remember what I was going to ask before, but it's it's all good. It must hey, well, if it comes back, let me know. Because uh, I wanted to say, you know, so one, Mr. Got Plenty, how can you recognize a good arbitrage opportunity? Uh, just mispriced assets, right? Simple, simply put. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, there are a number of answers to this. So like we talked about a few arbitrage. One of them is the arbitrage that we do in the vault, which is the arbitrage between the bar rate of ETH and the yield rate. So if there's a difference between the rate to borrow something and the interest rate on something, you can leverage that and leverage your yield. Right, without without changing your delta at all. We did this a lot on Solana back when Solan was really popular with staked Solana. Right, there was like six percent intrinsic yield, plus you got paid some additional incentive, and then you could borrow Solana for like two percent. So leveraging that up got you thirty five percent completely on Solana, and you could delta neutralize that if you wanted to, still get twenty percent net. It was great. Uh, so you're looking for like the difference between two numbers and that difference being an inefficiency. Another one is funnyware arbitrage, which Charles talked about. I can talk about a great funnyware arbitrage play right now. So what you do is you look at uh, the funding rate of a specific asset, whether it's positive or negative. If the funding rate is positive, that means you're getting paid to short it. So if you want to be delta neutral, what you can do is long the asset just by buying it. That's what that's what being long means. It means you have exposure to the, the delta of the asset, the change in price of the asset, and then short the same amount of that asset. So you're getting paid to short it. And then with the long, just go ahead and put it in some low risk yield item. So like Adam is a great example. I love doing delta neutral strategies on Adam because Adam has this staking yield rate around 20%. So you're getting paid 20% to, to do the, the least risky thing you can possibly do with Adam, which is just stake it, right? And then you can go and short Adam and right now, I'm not going to you know, give away all my spots, but there are uh, perp dexes that are paying you 20 to 35% to be sure on Adam um, consistently. So find those opportunities and then find a place to long it and then go ahead and like deposit both into those opportunities. Now you're getting paid to short, paid to long, and you're delta neutral because your long and short exposure are exactly the same. Uh, another arbitrage opportunity is looking at like missed price assets, like, like Corval was saying, which is find an asset that has backing and see if its value is below its backing. If its value is below its backing, the next thing you should do is see if it's redeemable. If the asset is below its backing and redeemable, Boom. Phenomenal arbitrage. I look like Trump. Phenomenal arbitrage opportunity. <laughs> uh, you know, because because you know you can get that yield. Like there's this crazy arbitrage opportunity that was on um Kanto with with staked Kanto, which it was the most ridiculous way I've ever seen an arbitrage happen. But what you could do is you could buy S Kanto for five to six percent under peg. And then you could go to Discord and open up a Discord ticket and say, I want to redeem my S Kanto. And the team with their multi-sig would then give you the Kanto uh, if you gave them the S Kanto over a 25-day period. It was absolutely ridiculous. But like finding what? these opportunities, there was an arbitrage, right? There was this process through which you could 
convert the asset, which is underpriced, to the underlying backed asset. And you looked, if you did any on-chain sleuthing, you could see that all of the backing was there uh, available to be done. So, you know, there are many different arbitrage opportunities. I, I will shill my Discord here and say, like, if you want to find these in real time consistently with a group of like-minded individuals, join the DeFi Dojo Discord. Uh, we're looking at these all the time, and it's, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. Um, so come hang out. Yeah, perfect. Oh God, I was actually going to ask you about DeFi Dojo. I'm in it. Uh, but I'm not in it, in it, but I think I might get into it, dude. I got a lot to learn here. (laughs) Mm. Um, Um, yeah, yeah, that, that is, sorry. That is just the funniest thing I've heard all week. That's hilarious. Oh my God. Um, I can't believe they didn't. How did that not, how long was that open for? Like, how did they? You could still go do this. The the problem is it can only handle like $2,000 of TVL before it starts to repay because the liquidity is so thin. So, yeah. you know, go out there with a couple thousand dollars, make like 50 bucks, go buy yourself a nice dinner. Uh, and then, you know, be be stoked that you did the wonkiest, most ridiculous arbitrage play in DeFi. For sure. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, Colbert. We're, we're coming. I was just going to say, we're coming up at the hour mark here. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, begin closing this off here. But if you had another question, Charles. Oh no! I was just going to talk about. Um, I talked to the. I talked from to Bert and David from Quenta and Synthetics, and we had a big um, perps discussion. And there was a lot of funding rate um, talk, and like they were saying, you know, um, I that was where funding rate arbitrage kind of clicked for me because they were like, oh well, you know, the funding rate on 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 ETH is not going to be. Um, it, like the, the the average funding rate is not going to be zero because you can get a quote unquote risk free rate through staking ETH, um, and like we you know we're obviously talking about it in theoretic and I was like yeah yeah it'll it'll never be that but that's exactly what we're talking about with DeFi being inefficient is that it should never be you know zero or negative uh, positive but it will be at at a lot of times so anyways oh, fantastic. that's all I had to say. <laughs> A little bit of a plug there. Is that was that a podcast you did with them? That was a podcast. That was the Big Red Podcast, which I am the host of. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we haven't been doing a lot of episodes uh, as of late, but uh, check it out. We had a we had a Velodrome B two discussion uh, last Wednesday, so have a listen, y'all. Thanks. Fantastic. All right, yeah. So I mean, uh, do you guys have any final words, uh, Sinbad, son? Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, go check out Somalier. You know, we have a real yield. We're, we're really competitive. Uh, like right now, 13% seven-day average on real yield ETH, 6.5% on real yield BTC. Frax Vault, it's optimizing Frax Lend. It's getting like 6% underlying. There's still some incentives. Uh, if you feel like it's within your risk reward, and I always recommend doing due diligence, then, uh, you know, consider giving it a look. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Well, guys, that, that was our show here. I hope you found it informative. I think it'd be hard to find it not to find it informative. Uh, we covered a lot of good stuff here. Um, so I want to thank everyone for showing up in the chat and everyone listening later at home, podcast, at the gym, whatever. Uh, and uh, yeah, be sure to come back tomorrow. We're doing another Block Bites Daily on Wednesday. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Big Red, Somalier, DeFi Dojo. Those are the three things you should be thinking about uh, after this show. All right, guys. I think uh, that's it. Mikey, you want to take us home? I don't think I have a tagline for this one. That was fun. Thanks, guys. That was fun. That's yeah, it. That was fun. <laughs> it was a pleasure. The worst tagline oh, yeah. Thank you guys for showing up, man. <laughs> All right. Mikey.